Welcome to VentureLift Africa podcast. VentureLift is a curation platform for helping African startups and growing SMEs receive the resources that they need to scale. My name is Wilmot Allen, and I'm your host today. And I'm joined today by Lillian Duati. Hello, Lillian. Hi, Wilmot. Lillian is the CEO and founder of Ludic Works. She is an entrepreneur, connector, and technologist passionate about leveraging technology for the good. And in the past life, she's been very busy, co-founded several successful social enterprises, including Akira Chicks, a social enterprise that promotes technology and innovation for young women and girls, and InFarm, an SMS-based tool that provides farmers with daily marketing prices. We're pleased to have with us Lillian Duarte. Uh, welcome again, Lillian. Thank you, Wilmot. Thanks for having me. Gaming, mm -hmm. young people, esports, right. Africa. Mm -hmm. Ludic Works is building something special. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, um, so Ludic Works is a video game development company as well as a video game publishing company. And so what that means essentially is that we uh, helped we help to publish uh, the video games um, that are being made by video game developers in Africa. And apart from that, we're also helping create a lot of awareness and helping to change the perception around video gaming in Africa, at least. Because the narrative is always, you know, are people playing video games in Africa? And I like to say, not only are they playing video games in Africa, but they're also making the video games. Excellent. Now, you've done a lot of things related to technology in your life. I'm just curious, how did you become a gamer? Are you a gamer or are you just leading the company? How hands-on are you as a gamer? Uh, what games did you grow up playing? Right, right. Um, so as a gamer, I'm not like a hardcore gamer like um, a lot of my friends out there. But I will say that my interest in video gaming was because I have two brothers. And um, I remember way back in the 90s, um, you know, playing with this Game Boy and so on. And so you'd see the amount of fun they're having and, you know, you'd also want to join in. And I think it was also a part of, it was a neighborhood thing, right? Because a few people had the consoles. And so you'd gather around one kid's house and then you'd all end up playing. And I think from there, that's where my interest in gaming um, came from. Were you very competitive growing up with your brothers? Oh, oh I'm competitive. <laughs> I'm competitive and I think video gaming is a very healthy way to bring out uh, my competitive side. Okay. So, yeah. What yeah. were your favorite games growing up? Right. Um, so, you know, the classic Mario, um, Crash Bandicoot, uh, Pac-Man, um, and a lot of those, you know, old school games from way back when. Now, you've mentioned all Western games. Right. So I'm, I'm going to dig, dig in now a little bit about Africa and gaming and how you see the outlook mm -hmm. on the continent. Uh, because I think the perception is maybe um, there's a need for capacity building. Mm -hmm. uh, there are great African stories. Uh, many have observed the success of Black Panther, even though that's fantasy in a different category, but there are historically based uh, stories, legends, cities, African civilization, a lot to explore. And then let's talk about that really, really billion dollar issue, the one billion people that you have on the continent, which translates into, I think, a lot of opportunity to right. build a successful company, to empower young people. How do you see uh, the potential for gaming here in Africa? Okay, um, so let me start by answering, um, let's, let's move back a little bit, right? So 
when we go back to the 90s and as i've mentioned we were playing the games except they were western right um but that did not mean that there were that there weren't other african games and the difference between those games and the games that were you know born of africa were just technology right mm. so we had all the traditional games um kati which is you know um a version of hopscotch and so on so the difference was just the technology right um and what i think right now is that the technology has caught up meaning that now we have the tools and everything that we need to bring our african stories to life except through tech and so i think this is the right time uh, to get into video gaming and to bring alive some of those african stories and we're already beginning to see that you know with games like um zito for example so zito is a game by nyama cop studios it's run by a game developer called uh, georgia hare and zito is based on um you know uh, it captures the spirit of africa and so it's based on five pillars um that are rooted in african culture you know community uh, goodwill our land and culture and so on and so we're beginning to see a, a a growing talent of people who are able to take those concepts translate them and use technology to take them to the world great sports are really popular here in africa particularly <laughs> soccer i'm sorry football <laughs> football <laughs> soccer <laughs> football. Yes. Uh basketball maybe mm-hmm. is picking up mm-hmm. and other sports. Right. What's the outlook for esports here in Africa? We know that globally it's really taking off. Arenas are filled. Uh Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal is investing. Right. Uh Drake is investing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um large corporate institutions are now paying attention to it for branding and marketing at these events. So, uh here in Africa, mm-hmm. what's the outlook for esports and how is Ludic engaging? So I think what you've just done there is um outlining how big the opportunity is right in the world. And so the question is from Africa since we already have the talent, we already have the games being developed, how then can we position ourselves to also take part in esports? Um and when it comes right down to it we've got everything we need except mm. there are a few key challenges that we're facing. So I'll give you an example. Esports um at least in Africa has been is moving away from the northern and southern um, tips of the continent so you have your egypt morocco and then southern africa and so esports is moving mainland that's one so that means that the audience is growing bigger for esports on the continent right um however we're facing two key challenges which i think through a lot of the work that we're doing as ludic and other players as well will be solved the first one is servers right So one of the things that we believe is that video gaming helps to push technology forward, right? So let me give you an example of how that would translate. Um in esports there's something called um a ping or a ping, right? And what that means is that when we're playing a massive online player games together, um how fast my computer is able to translate a command from somebody else playing the same game in Europe is is the difference that matters in a game where you, you know speed matters and so on so if i'm uh, playing um let's say dota dota 2 is a you know it's a huge um e-sports game or league of legends right so that means that you know if i have to play against somebody whose server is based in Europe um the difference between a minute second might cost me a championship title for example And so one of the things we're really championing for is for us to have a server based in Africa. And you know, you've got a lot of the video game publishers from Europe and Asia saying, you know, Africa is too small a market to invest in a dedicated server for Africa and so on and so forth. So that is one of the key things um that's keeping out um the really talented esports teams from Africa from competing internationally. That said, we do have esports organizers who are training players and um helping, you know, take them outside to compete there, you know, at the same level. 
Great. I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. You know, here in Africa, you do have the demographic dividend, which right. you spoke to in terms of the opportunity. Um, but along with that, there are social impact opportunities, I think, as well with gaming. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, so there's two sides to that. Um, the first one is, you're right, I mean, a fifth of Africa's population is um, the age group between 15 and 24 years, and then 60% of the continent is people below the age of 35. When you look at it from a video gaming perspective, that's a prime market for video game, right? Um, however, there's also this narrative that Africa has got enough of its own problems to think about instead of, you know, people playing games and so on. However, um, um, what we're seeing and what I also believe is that video games are a very important tool to, uh, what do you call it? It's a way to engage the youth, which is a problem that a lot of governments and a lot of communities are facing. How do you engage the youth positively, right? Um, so I'll give you an example. Yesterday I went for a long drive um, and ended up lost, but <laughs> ended up lost in Kiambu County. And one thing struck me about that town was five years ago it was just, you know, rural houses, but now it's a burgeoning town. And what struck me the most was that in the markets on the side, Everybody in the shops, the all the way from the guys running the motorbikes to the to the to the shop selling clothes, were people between twenty four, in nineteen to twenty four, right? And so I wondered, this is just uh, this small Kiambu town. How about the rest of the country? And this is just Kenya. So how about the rest of the other African cities? How are they engaging their youth, right? And so how we see video games is that it's a part of culture and it's a form of art, right? And if you give young people a way to express that art by giving them the talent to make video games, and if you think about it in parallel, it's the same as giving um, young people the skills to make music or to express themselves. And so we believe that video games are a very good force for good, right? So one thing is that it brings people together around something that's positive. It helps to build um, um, uh, the young people's social skills because some of these games you have to play together right and then it sort of channels that energy into things that are productive and what we're doing with ludic is also enabling um uh, the young people to develop a professional career out of video games right because there's several um, economic outputs from video gaming it's not just making the video games themselves right you've got retailers who sell the video games you've got the proprietors who have set up um social video game centers within the towns. And these are people, because what is the alternative to video gaming, right? The alternative is somebody's out there, um, you know, engaged in something that may not necessarily be positive. And so these are a lot of the things that we're working towards and engaging a lot of people just to also change the perspective and, I mean, yeah, the perception and the culture around gaming. Right. What does the power of creating your own narrative mean for Africa? Um, I ask that because oftentimes, you know, I'm an avid reader, a student of life and learning, and I go to bookstores a lot. And I see um, that, particularly in the case of children's books, there aren't many books uh, on African themes. And I'm just wondering if you could comment a little bit about the importance of that and how it might be empowering for children, for society here in Kenya and beyond. Right, right. Um, I love that question, and it's something that I'm also looking at. How do you create dialogue and get people engaged around it, right? Mm. So I'll give you an example, and 
and, and this is something that if you've grown up in Africa and going to school in Africa, you can relate to. So our textbooks, when you're learning your ABCs, are mostly developed by, you know, uh, publishers from outside. And mm. so you're telling people it's Y for yacht and um, X for xylophone. And we're like, what the heck is a yacht? I've never seen that before, oh. right? <laughs> <laughs> what the heck is a xylophone? Um, and so, you know, I think there's something that's lost by not being able to capture... Um, uh, um, a lot of that in the things that we're teaching our kids, right? Because what we teach them and, 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 and the ideas they grow up seeing shapes a lot of how you engage with the world and a lot of what you do, right? So um, let's extend that a little bit further, also into the content that we're creating. Um, if we don't understand... Okay, let, let me roll back a little bit. One of the things I like saying is that you cannot go forward if you don't know where you have come from, right? And so I think there's a lot of space for us to be able to tell our stories, to be proud of our stories, and then to 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 leap off those stories into the next phase of where we're going. I like to say that we have reached Africa 3.0, right? So the first narrative was, was we're just coming out of colonialism um, and a lot of countries were just trying to figure out, okay, where are we going from here, right? And then you had the second generation that got to build that and go through that. But what I'm seeing now is a, is a third wave where you have got young people. These young people are exposed. Um, they're, they, you know, they're online, they're connected and they're seeing what else other kids outside are doing, right? And so... Another thing is that you're seeing content is no longer being divided by geography. Like, we're going to put this to Africa, we're going to put this to China, no, no, no. It's people are being mapped according to their interests. So a kid here, I mean, not say kid, but a young person here uh, will watch Black Panther and enjoy it. Same as um, a young person from Europe or a young person from America, right? And so I think recognizing that that's where we are, where content is becoming dynamic in that you could make it in Africa and have it played in China, right? But then also being cognizant of the fact that there is also still a space for the African stories. So what we need is to empower as many people as possible to have the tools and the technology to bring alive those stories and to tell them. So one question regarding the business model is what types of games do you think would work here in Africa? Who's going to pay for the games? And what are the stories that people outside of Africa uh, would really connect to when it comes to universal themes? I think we've seen some of that when it comes to uh, movies, uh, more so movies than I think television programs. Um, there have been you know, a lot of great movies on African themes that I've watched. Um, over the years, uh, Black Panther being one of them, Blood Diamond, Last King of Scotland, I could go on and on. Uh, but when it comes to gaming, how do you see that in terms of making a sustainable business around paying customers, around being able to expand and grow outside with an international audience, uh, international customer base, and, and really finding ways to uh, connect customers to those stories? Okay. Um... Okay, so in this side of the world, at least, mobile and PC is winning, right? Um, and when you talk about mobile, it's you've got countries where you have 80% cell phone ownership. And this is true across um, Nigeria, South Africa, Ghana, Tanzania, Uganda, I think is catching up at 60%. But for me, how I interpret that is that these are people who have got the devices to consume the content. Content could... Um, content also including video games, right? In terms of paying, some of these games are priced at a dollar, which is, let's say, in Kenya, 100 shillings, right? Um, and when you look at who's my competition for this 100 shillings, at least for the people who are buying them, is that if I am buying airtime, 
that's competition for my 100 shillings, right? Um, if I am buying, um, um, or if I am paying for a subscription, which already people are doing, right? So in short, I think that proves to me that people are buying these games. Um, when you look at the demographics, we mentioned that it's between 15 to 24. So this is traditionally a demographic that is um, either just finishing and getting out of school or just getting into their first job. So meaning that they don't have the money themselves, but their parents are buying the games, right? Um, that's one side to think about it. The second side to think about is that a lot of these games are, are free. They have a freemium model, which means that at the very basic level, you're able to get users playing and um, interacting with your games and so on. And then now where it gets a little bit interesting is when you have now, you know, content that you have to pay a little bit extra to access and so on and so forth. But when it comes to this market, I think the premium model is really helping to onboard a lot of users um, in terms of paying for games. However, um, we still have people who are actually purchasing the games. And you know, we're always kidding about this, where if you know a relative who's going outside and, you know, you send them with some money so that they can go and come back with a couple of games for you. So in terms of people paying for and buying the games that is happening, um, one of the things, and this is one of the challenges we've been talking about in the industry at least, is that the games are quite heavily taxed when it comes to the African market, right? So you find a game um, is almost 50% um, higher than what you would buy the game outside the African markets. But these are things that as the market continues to grow, I think will largely correct itself. Um, that's in terms of people who are paying um, what I like to explore a little bit more is in terms of the themes. Um, I think you asked who's, if I was to summarize, who's interested in buying African content? Is that it? That's is right. That, That's <laughs> like right. who wants to watch African stuff? Is that, um, yeah. So I like to think about it, right? I, I think about it this way. When it comes to anything um, media, I think about it as based on universal themes that everyone can relate to, right? So there's love, there's revenge, there's anger, there is um, the hero's journey. So the hero's journey, you know, um, there's this person, they're looking for something, they need a guide to help them, and then they get it, they go through a quest and so on. And so if you look at a lot of the movies, you see, they're based around that same story arc. So when I think about, and I'm putting this in quotes, African content, I think that... Um, we never say European content, right, or Asian content. But when it comes to African content, we're always saying African content. And in one way, I can understand because it's like very interesting, very dynamic. And in many ways, other audiences haven't had a chance to interact with it. And so I think it's an opportunity for content creators from here to use those same universal things that anyone in the world can relate to. But the vehicle you're doing that with is stories that are born from here, right? Because we've got rich mythology stories. Um, and if you look at a lot of movies, um, you know, DC versus Marvel, you know, one is Nordic and one is Greek mythology. And so it's just about introducing that angle and that perspective to these universal things. Well, you have had a very interesting young career as a millennial female CEO. How have you drawn from some of your previous experiences uh, to help you and what you're driving now with Ludic Works? Okay, um, so how have I used my millennial, ex millennial experience? <laughs> well, you've been um, one of the leaders of Code for Africa here. You spearhead female founders in technology, uh, Africa. Uh, you played a, a role with UN Foundation's Digital Impact Alliance Advisory Council. How have those experiences helped you uh, as a leader now driving another startup um, as a serial entrepreneur? 
Um, right, you know, you never know you've done a lot until somebody else is reading out your bio. <laughs> and then you're like, oh my gosh, where, where do I find the time? Um, but I think for me, it's driven by two things. I like to say that entrepreneurship is in the blood. I can't run away from it even if I wanted to. Um, uh, but I think it's largely driven by the second thing, which is for me, I see a lot of opportunity and how my mind works is that when I see an opportunity, I'm like, hey, we can do this and, and we can provide these services and this can happen. And so that is always at the backbone and is always driving, um, you know, and is always driving me when I, whenever I do something. So I'll give you an example. So if you look at the um, the two social enterprises I, I co-founded, you know, Akira Chicks and Enfam, both of them were driven because, let me take you way back, way back to how, to the, to my, back. to my origin story, okay. right? So when I was at, you know, deciding when I finished high school and I was deciding what, you know, what am I going to study and so on. And so I remember I was having a conversation with my father and I told him, I want to do political science um, or international relations. And that was because he, he did, you know, he studied abroad, he did political science and so on. And so I kind of also wanted the same thing. But I'll always remember what he told me. He said, daughter, sit down. But not as dramatically, <laughs> but, you know, words along that effect where he said, um, I'm not understanding this whole technology thing, but I can see it's a wave. And why don't you study something so that when this tech thing comes to fruition, you'll already be prepared and so on to you know, to take it further and to work in that industry. And so that's how come I ended up doing uh, my undergrad, you know, business and technology. And um, at the time, uh, even the degree course, I think, was a new one. And it was one of the only two universities in Kenya that were offering, you know, a tech, whatever, tech degree. And so being in that tech degree, I met one of my mentors who was involved in technology and they were setting up something called the iHub, which is um, one of Nairobi's and maybe let me see the continent's first um, tech hubs, right? And so I ended up joining, you know, from that perspective. But the thing for me was being immersed at the iHub, I was smack in the middle of this new wave, right? Um, there was this technology happening. There were people forming companies, you know, tech startups. And so I think for me, that's, that's the driving force that has been a common thread in all the things that I've done. So how do I relate it to gaming? Um, for me, gaming and what would video gaming rather and what we're doing at Ludiquax is interesting because where previously we were seeing technology as an enabler and as a driver and as a force that can help a lot of good things happen in a short term when it comes to gaming video gaming it's more future focused right so if you look at video gaming it's been at the forefront of pushing forward tech right so the example i gave earlier about africa doesn't have a dedicated server which means our esports teams can't compete and so on and so forth. But if through gaming we're able to partner with some of our partners to bring a dedicated server here, it has ripple effects for other people in other tech industries. And so for me, um, doing what we're doing at Ludic is also another way to bring um, that, you know, to, to reach out into the future, grab it and bring it into the present um, for other people as well. If anyone would like to have more information about Ludic Works, please contact us at VentureLift Africa. You can contact us at Wilmot at VLAfrica.com. I will also, also say this is part one of a two-part series with Ludic. So in our next meeting with Ludic, we'll be talking with your co-founder and COO right. about more of the ecosystem here in Kenya and across the continent. Uh, so we look forward to that. 
conversation. And to our listeners, thank you. Please join us again for part two of the conversation with Ludic Gaming in Africa. This is Venture Lift Africa podcast with Wilmot Allen. Thanks, Wilmot. No ways no ways I was born to do great things. Joe Nation, you will see.